The Westman Weekly is sponsored by Everlane. I love Everlane. They make great clothes. Yeah, they do. Two of my favorite pieces of outerwear come from this company. I've been wearing the Men's Renew Lightweight Hooded Puffer. It's one of those puffy jackets. It looks very cool. It's very comfy to wear. It kept me warm in San Francisco this weekend when we did our live event. I've been staying warm with Everlane, too. I've been indulging in some cashmere, courtesy of Everlane. Nice. It's really nice. There's a cashmere scarf and a cashmere sweater that I have from them. And the crazy thing is, they aren't crazy expensive. I'm shocked by how well-made these clothes are and how good they look and how inexpensive they are for what you're getting. It's because Everlane sells directly to consumers. Their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. They take a transparent approach. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. If you go to their website and you read, you can see what their costs are. You can learn about every step in the process from the materials they use to the ethical factories that they work with. We love them. And right now you can check out our personalized collection of favorites at everlane.com slash westwing. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order if you go to the website and start shopping now. That's right. Go to everlane.com slash westwing and get free shipping. Again, that's everlane.com slash westwing. The Westwing Weekly is brought to you by Blue Apron. What do you get with Blue Apron? You get chef-designed recipes that use fresh, seasonally-inspired ingredients and never repeat over the course of a year. These are Instagram-worthy meals that you can make in as little as 20 minutes. And they're fun to put together and easy to assemble because Blue Apron has done all the sous chef work already for you. Blue Apron makes it easy to pick recipes for a variety of diets. They have a ton of vegetarian options, for example. Each week you get a variety of delicious meals to choose from. You can go online and tweak the menu. I like this. I prefer that. And here are some of the things you just might sample. This is my favorite part. How about garlic caper chicken with fettuccine and zucchini? That sounds good. As does spicy soy glazed chicken thighs with green beans and jasmine rice. Neither you nor I personally will eat the pork chorizo burgers and roasted potatoes with maple glazed onion, but I bet there is someone out there who would choose that and prefer that. Alternatively, you could have a crispy chickpea grain bowl with harissa glazed carrots, currants, and almonds. That sounds exotic and delicious. Much like ourselves. Right. Check out this week's menu. Get $60 off at blueapron.com slash westwing. That's 60 bucks off at blueapron.com slash westwing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You're listening to the West Wing Weekly. I'm Rishi K. Sherway. And I'm Joshua Molina. As we head towards the end of the West Wing, we're introducing a new monthly feature, a bonus episode that will help us discuss some stuff that falls out of the scope or the timeline of our episodic discussions. So this week, we're talking a little bit about the casting process behind the show. We always love to ask actors about their experiences auditioning and getting their roles, but what about the people who bring them in to audition in the first place? That's where the casting department comes in. And Josh spoke to one of the people responsible for casting The West Wing, Tony Sepulveda. Tony Sepulveda, Senior Vice President of Casting at Warner Brothers Television. I was a cast director on The West Wing Seasons 3 and 4. Which includes when I first joined the show. Technically, I cast you on The West Wing. Technically. Aaron Sorkin called me and said, we're going to add Josh Molina to the cast. So that's how I cast you. (laughs) So how did Tony end up on The West Wing? Well, he grew up in Santa Rosa, California before moving to Los Angeles for school. 
I went to UCLA to be an actor, and I realized halfway through the process when I wasn't getting cast in anything that I really didn't like rehearsing, and I certainly didn't like the idea of memorizing lines. So what I did was I started focusing on directing because I liked that better, and I didn't mind rehearsing and figuring things out. And to make myself better at theater directing, I thought I'd do an internship in casting, and I got an internship with Meg Lieberman, who was working at MGM at the time, and she hired me the day I graduated from UCLA. Meg Lieberman is a two-time Emmy Award-winning casting director who has worked on shows like Seinfeld and The Wonder Years. I was her assistant for about two or three years, and I came to Warner Brothers in 88. Tony was one of multiple casting directors working at Warner Brothers. He worked on a bunch of shows, and he was working on the fourth season of Suddenly Susan when The West Wing made its debut on network TV in 1999. And then two years later, there was an opening over there. In 2001, when John Levy was no longer able to do The West Wing, he and Kevin Scott were casting it, John had recommended me to take the show over. And I met with Aaron and with Tommy, and then they gave me the okay, which was great. I had absolutely no idea what it takes to become a casting director, so I asked Tony about it. Casting director is probably the longest road of any job in the business because you really have to know who every actor is before you can become a casting director. And you've got to be aware of what they do and what they don't do and what their strengths and weaknesses are so that when a producer who doesn't know them asks you a bunch of questions, you're well-equipped to answer them. Tony came on for production for season three. The Bartlett re-election campaign was going to be in full swing. You know, this is after the president puts his hands in his pockets and looks away and all that at the end of two cathedrals. So over the summer, one of Tony's first assignments was to find the actors to play Bruno Gianelli's team of consultants who were going to be brought in to help the campaign. The first one was Manchester part one and two. And that's when I added Connie Braden, Evan Handler, and Ron Silver to the cast. Aaron and Tommy and John Wells were very happy with... There's just certain people that was just these great theater people that was really easy to get past Aaron and Tommy. I mean, you just really wanted to make sure you were making a smooth transition. And I felt like we got some really good people on those two shows. So I was sort of making, I I felt like I was doing all right. And then 9-11 happens. Season three was scheduled to premiere on October 3rd, less than a month after September 11th. But as the country reeled in the aftermath of the attack, the West Wing scrambled to figure out how the Bartlett administration could address it. So on September 12th, it was decided that an episode would be written and filmed and edited and cast in time for the premiere episode, which I think was two weeks later. We were still finishing an episode, and we had to start casting this episode, which Aaron was writing at, like, lightning speed. And then I was getting the pages... This is the episode that would become Isaac and Ishmael. Tony had to cast the character of Rakim Ali, the Muslim White House employee who gets falsely accused of terrorism. Plus, he had to cast all the students who were at the White House for presidential classroom. And the kids, there's like eight of them. Tommy and Aaron were very specific how they wanted those kids to look and act. And they just didn't want any showbiz kids in there at all. And in those days, we didn't have computerized submissions, so I just had to call every kid's agency. I think the main kid was Josh Zuckerman played, which was the kid that uh, Josh sort of chides a lot and sort of makes fun of in a fun way. This is the White House, the home of the president and the executive branch, the most powerful of the three branches of the federal government. Yeah. Actually, Mr. Lyman, isn't it true that the framers made sure that the executive branch was the weakest of the three branches? Because we were breaking off from the royalist model that put absolute power in just one place. I mean, isn't that why they made the legislative branch, or people's branch, the most powerful? 
What's your name? I'm Billy Fernandez. Okay, I'll call you Fred. A little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. I don't know how long we're all going to be here, but you just made my list. The role was key to the episode, so Josh Zuckerman auditioned a few times. I mean, maybe three, because we didn't have a lot of time. But despite the time crunch, they managed to get it all done. It was an interesting lesson because it showed it could be done. And I think subsequently, during the course when I was there, that wasn't the first time that happened, where we were last minute with filming the episodes, because we did have a system in place if we had to. After that, Tony settled in as one of the West Wing's casting directors. He said that if you're a producer on a show, casting directors sort of act like your personal shoppers. They're basically trying to figure out what suits you're going to wear and how well you look in it. And you give the producers many choices and you may have the clout to recommend and really push one over the other. And sometimes you don't. But at least if you show them five good suits and they pick the right one, you can feel that you did your job correctly. So whenever there was a guest star, I would give them about seven or eight choices and they would make a decision. And if, in fact, they didn't make a decision, they gave me specific notes as to why these people weren't working. And here's what you need to do when you give me the next set of eight. And that's basically how it works. And then once it's chosen, my job would be to negotiate their salary and their billing. Working on The West Wing, however, was different from other shows. It was a little harder. In in past shows that I had done, you could always say, well, the writing wasn't that good. That's why we couldn't find actors to do it. But the pressure of the Western was anybody would do the show. And because I had all those choices to present to Aaron and to Tommy, if I didn't find the right people, it really was my fault. Since there are so many characters on the West Wing who come back now and then, Tony did his homework so he could keep track of them. The thing that I remembered when I inherited the show is that I watched every episode again, and I wrote down every actor that had played a senator, a congressman, a cabinet member, so that if I read a script and it said Secretary of Blank, I'd say, oh, okay, I already know who that is. But sometimes the homework actually wasn't useful. I remember reading a script, and it was like a congressman from Ohio or something, and I thought, okay, we've already actually cast that. So I called Aaron, and I said, you know, you, we've actually used an actor for this. He goes, oh, okay, I'll just change the state. Aaron didn't actually want to bring back the same actor. He didn't mean it to be the same character. He just forgot that he'd already used that elected position in a storyline previously. So one thing we talked about before when we were discussing the episode Enemies, Foreign and Domestic, was how surprising it was that they had Ian McShane on playing a Russian. We need something from you. On his arrival and during outdoor photograph opportunity, President Bartlett must wear overcoat. A coat? He must wear coat. He must wear gloves, scarves, and earmuffs. Permissible, but optional. That's right. Tony told me a little bit about that. It turns out it was another casting decision that had to be made very quickly. One time, though, this was the thing that scared me the most. I had to cast two Russian guys, and I had been told at, I think it was 7 o'clock on a Friday, that they were going to start filming it at 7 a.m. on Monday. And we hadn't cast either one of them. And uh, in the back of my head, Ian McShane had been pitched to me by ICM because he wanted to do the show. And they knew that there was something Russian going on because I said to them, well, I might have a, a role of a Russian diplomat. And they said, you can do a Russian accent. So I somehow got them to sign off on Ian that night and we closed him so he was able to show up on Monday. So that was kind of close. It was actually close many, many times because of how late Aaron would turn in his pages. I think one of the funniest conversations I had ever had with Aaron Sorkin, which really just set me going, was I would get maybe one page or two pages, and I would get a call from Lou Wells at noon that said, you have to cast that this afternoon because it's the only thing we can shoot tomorrow. 
That meant Tony didn't always know if this was going to turn into a big role in the episode or just a few lines. So I would just have to kind of go into my library of people that I brought in before or pictures that I had saved and everything. But I would call Aaron and I'd say, Aaron, are these parts getting bigger? And I only did this once, by the way, and Aaron's response was, ah, ah, does that matter? And he hung up. <laughs> so that's sort of, he was like, what are you talking about? What difference does it make? Just get a good actor. So uh, yeah, that's what I did. We've talked a lot before about how strict things were with the scripts, and there was definitely no room for improvisation or even just a little bit of paraphrasing. And those aren't constraints that every actor feels comfortable working within. The one thing Aaron was very taskmaster about was you did not change a word or a letter in the dialogue. It wouldn't set him off in a bad way, but it would certainly get him to the point where they don't understand the role if they have to change a word. And that was right. Aaron always read with the actors, which made my life a lot easier because then I could actually really watch what they were doing. And Aaron loved reading with the actors. But also he also knows the rhythm of, of the dialogue. That was one of the challenges. You just really had to make sure the actors knew when you walk in there, you've got to do the dialogue the way it was written. Almost everyone, even the big names, had to audition. The only person I think we ever offered it to me two years that I did it was Mary Louise Parker, Lily Tomlin, and uh, Matthew Perry. And I think Laura Dern didn't read either. Everyone else read? Everybody else read. I didn't read. <laughs> I had an inside track. There you go. Because you're one of the big names, Josh. That's right. Big, big name. Besides the pinpoint exactitude that the scripts needed, sometimes you had to come in as a guest star, nail all the dialogue stuff, and do a walk and talk. Of course, this series regulars knew how to do it in their sleep, so that just made it even worse, because you would be the one messing it up, and as a result, it would just be that much more pressure on the actor. When Mark Harmon did the show, I remember his first scene was with Allison, and it was a walk and talk. And I went up, you know, to his restroom to congratulate him being on the show. And I had worked with him on previous series, and he was just shaking over it. <laughs> and it just showed you it didn't matter how big of a star you were. There was such a, you know, inherent love for the show that nobody wanted to mess up on it. But despite those challenges, or really probably somewhat because of them, people still wanted to get cast. So many actors wanted to be on the West Wing. This is the kind of thing they would want to audition for. After season four ended, Tony was promoted to be a senior casting executive at Warner Brothers. I had to give up the casting director job and become a casting executive. I recommended Laura Schiff, who was a huge fan of the show, and I knew that she would know every episode and it would be perfect for her to take over. Laura Schiff, like Tony before her and like John Levy and Kevin Scott before him, would go on to be nominated for an Emmy for casting The West Wing. Tony's still at Warner Brothers. He's the senior vice president of casting for the network. In fact, I've been running into him recently. I have a recurring role in The Big Bang Theory, mm -hmm. and every episode begins with an initial table read, and there's quite a lineup there, and it includes Tony. And that's where I came up to him and said, hey, would you come on the podcast? Oh, that's perfect. Hey, side note, you and Josh Zuckerman... Actually, Mr. Lyman... ...have both appeared in The Big Bang Theory. Huh, how about that? As a casting executive, my job is to hire the casting director to cast the show, and then they report to me in terms of progress you know, how the process is going. And my job as a casting executive is to facilitate the approval process. So the guest stars, I'll help facilitate their approval as well as the series regular. And I'll guide everybody in the right direction so we can do it in an efficient way. The only reason you're there is if the creators are having some sort of problem getting their point across to the network or even the studio execs. And then I can be there to help, you know, represent them and explain to everybody why this is important to the producer to go this way instead of that way. And when shows run itself, you stand back. You let the creators create. 
The West Wing was the last show that Tony worked on as a casting director. I think the rewarding thing was to be able to work with this incredible team because we were such a tight-knit family. I didn't get to work with a lot of directors. It was both, mostly Alex Rapes and Chris Messiano, and they would just sort of volley it back and forth, and then Tommy would go in every once in a while. But we were all so tight. It was a rewarding experience, and it was a great show to end my casting career on, you know? And that does it for this special bonus episode of the West Wing Weekly. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much to Tony Sepulveda for being our guest. Let us know what you thought on our website, thewestwingweekly.com, or hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You know where to find us. As always, Nick Song, Margaret Miller, and Zach McNeese helped make this episode, and they are the very best. The West Wing Weekly is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collective of independent, creative podcasts. Learn more about all the shows at radiotopia.fm. Big thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for providing the music that we used in this episode. We'll be back next week with episode 607, A Change Is Gonna Come. We had a blast taping that one live in San Francisco with special guest Mary McCormick and with Roman Mars. Okay. Okay. What's next? Hey, one quick thing before you go. We want to recommend another fantastic Radiotopia podcast. It's called Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything. That's right. And Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything just started a new miniseries. It's called Failure. Failure? That sounds good. It's about a set of ideas and technologies that are making our world great again. Here's a clip. Rich people are specially qualified geniuses. Therefore, we should deploy them to fix our schools, fix our diseases. They should be president of the United States. Democracy was actually like a word I didn't like very much because I came of age in the aughts when George Bush was bringing democracy to Iraq. So on a gut level, I was like, eh, like democracy. Women have never been befriended by democratic government, not the country. They've always been excluded. It's fail son. So the idea is that you failed and you're someone's kid. I mean, my, my wife is, she would be considered more of a success daughter. The dark web itself is like this horrible world of cyber criminals and like child pornography. I never heard of it until the intellectual dark web came along. Free speech YouTube isn't that much better, but we have to come up with something. What I've recommended to people is clean up your room. You're a big boy. You have to clean your apartment anyways. You should be cleaning your apartment anyways. You're a big boy. Subscribe to Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything at theoryofeverythingpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Radiotopia.